Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, Senior Pastor here at New Life Church, joined today by Daniel Grothy and Glenn Pacquia. Guys, let's talk today about a really practical issue that, depending on how you handle it, can either make or break your ministry. I'm talking about hiring and firing. So, Brady, you've pastored in different kinds of contexts, and you coach a lot of pastors that pastor in different contexts. So, I'd like you to talk for a minute about your experience here. Where are churches and pastors missing the bullseye when it comes to hiring and firing? Well, I can tell you that a lot of the problems, if not most of the problems that I see inside the local church is because a well-meaning, good-hearted senior pastor hired the wrong people to serve alongside him. And that creates uh, an immeasurable amount of stress innumerable problems, difficulties beyond explanation in some cases, when you put the wrong people around you, uh, even in the right environment. I mean, the local church should be the healthiest place on the planet to work. But if you put the wrong people in the wrong spot on the bus and then try to do the hard work of ministry with those people, it is excruciating. It's painful. It's awful. And and so one of the reasons we want to broach this topic today is because I think we can help pastors who are probably thinking about hiring someone or firing someone. Uh, we've learned a lot. And most of what we're going to share today is uh, birthed out of a great deal of uh, pain yeah, the, but from bad decisions right, on our part. Right. We have, we've tried uh, to do this well and have learned some really good lessons along the way. I remember, uh, for those of you who don't know, I was a part of Gateway Church in Dallas-Fort Worth in 2001 when the church was about 50 people and it grew to about 10,000 people in five years. I mean, just unbelievable growth that is almost undoable, quite honestly. But I remember in those five years, all I did was hire people. I, I mean, I just had to hire people all the time. And I had to make some quick decisions that I ended up regretting. And then I made some thoughtful decisions that have turned out to be you know, really good. And I just learned some really painful lessons that I want to share with everyone today and then get some feedback and maybe learn from our audience what they've learned about this. Okay, so let me ask you a really practical question just to kind of get us going then. So how do you know? I mean, you were in a rapidly growing church at that point. Not every church grows that astronomically. But in any context that you're in, how do you know when it is time to hire? You hire people for where you're going, not where you are. And so one of the wise things that a Robert Morris, who was my pastor at the time, told me, he said, he said to me, we're going to grow to a really large church. Brady, hire people that will help us reach this city at the level that we know God's called us to, to be. And so Robert, from the very beginning, knew that our church was not going to be a small congregation. It was going to be a large, multi-site congregation. And he said, Brady, just find me people who can grow with us, who you see in them the ability the strengths, the talents, the expertise that can help us grow. So a lot of times pastors hire out of a, a panicked need or a felt burden that's right there in front of them. You know, in other words, I need someone to do this task, so I'm going to hire someone to do this task. Most of the time when I've hired people with that thinking, I've regretted it. What I want is someone who can lead others to do that task. Because if we hire someone just to do the task, and we're going to look up one day and have people that we can't grow with, that won't multiply what God's doing among us. So you're looking for people who can train others. 
And think about the 12 men that Jesus shows. If you're going to use the Jesus model, all of these men, to the best historical knowledge that we have, these men were able to multiply uh, at disciples. Least, at least 11 did. Yeah, 11 did, right. But <laughs> 11 even, out of 12 even, bad. even the 12 oversaw the money fairly right. well, I think, you know, to some, to some degree. But so, so the point is, is that Jesus looked for men who could take the message and multiply the message and multiply their influence to others. And we hire people to oversee, to build, to be leaders. We hire leaders, and we're not just doers. I remember you telling me that, Brady, when we were starting New Life Downtown. And, you know, when you're a startup, as many of our listeners will relate to, you're doing everything yourself, and you're wearing a lot of hats. I mean, I was running to, like, rental car lots to figure out this and that, and you're ordering everything, you're doing all the sermon planning, you're meeting with every volunteer you can meet with, but you reach a certain point where you realize, okay, beyond admin help, I need another pastor. I need someone else to to kind of run with me. And I remember asking your advice about this, Brady, and you said, don't just hire a doer, hire a multiplier, someone who can multiply the work of the ministry. And I think that's huge to think that way. I mean, there's look, there's room in the body of Christ for all kinds of positions, but we're not just talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about a staff, and that's the key. And the goal for every staff is not to become a megachurch. I mean, we're talking to a lot of pastors today who maybe you're pastoring a 100-member church or a 50-member church, but listen, the kingdom of heaven came to the earth to add people to its midst. Every church should be adding to their number those who are being saved and baptized, right? That's a normal process for a healthy, growing local church. There's nothing ungodly for wanting people to be saved and baptized and discipled in your church. Well, discipleship at its core is a long, arduous process that requires a great amount of human effort and intentionality, right? I mean, if you're going to disciple another human being and you're going to do that at a scale, then you're going to need someone who has significant leadership ability. And actually, the training for that is even to begin thinking that way if all you're working with are volunteers. I mean, I remember thinking, well, these are the people we have. This is just what we should get used to. And I was challenged by others who said, no, not everyone who volunteers should be a volunteer, you know? I mean, in other words, you're looking for the people who will be multipliers, even if they're unpaid staff. You're looking for a particular kind of person. And in a way, this is exactly what Jesus does with the feeding of the 5,000. He charges the disciples to feed the crowd. Then he does the miracle, but then says to them, now you distribute it, you know? I mean, if Jesus was going to multiply bread, surely he could have landed it on the laps of every hungry person. But no, he involved others. So the involvement of other people here as their own discipleship and their own fulfillment of their calling is as much a part of what we're doing. Okay, so we have a sense of where we're going then. We want to try to staff for where we're going, and and we're adding pastoral staff. That means that we're drawing people into the pastoral life of the church, which is, that's a sacred trust that we hold between ourselves and and the people that we're pastoring. So Brady, let's say you've sort of identified somebody who you think might be a multiplier, as you've said. Beyond that, when you're sitting in the interview process with them, what are you trying to discern in there? You've talked a little bit about things like character and chemistry and competency and those things. Can you unpack those a little bit for us? Well, this has been widely discussed in the church. These three words are not um, my own. I've heard this from multiple other leaders, but I have found these three things to be a really good litmus test and a good place to begin when you're hiring staff. So character, obviously, are people who live godly lives, who have biblical standards of behavior, who have healthy homes and finances, who have a personal walk with Jesus that's passionate and fervent, and that they don't have habits or sin that's going to cause them to stumble in their walk as leaders of the church. So that's obvious, right? But chemistry is a tricky one. And let me tell you this, I make no apologies about this. I want to work with friends. 
ministry is too difficult not to work alongside people that you like. Now, I'm not saying that the people you work alongside have to go on family vacations with you and come over to your house every Sunday afternoon for fried chicken or whatever. I'm saying that when you're shoulder to shoulder doing the hard work of preaching, teaching, and discipleship, it is almost impossible to do that with people that you don't like. And so chemistry is so important. Just the people in this room today, uh, the four of us who are talking on this podcast, and we like each other. When we see each other from a distance, we go toward one another. We like being with one another. We like going to lunch with one another. Our kids like each other. We we just like each other. I think that's the Jesus thing. When you go into a town, look for the man of peace. Go find the person where there's chemistry, where there's an easy flow. It's too hard to do it alone, and you shouldn't be competing and pulling in opposite directions. So work with people of peace. Yeah, I want to stop you on that chemistry thing because that is not a thing that fits easily on your list of questions, you know, when you're interviewing somebody. So what have you learned about, like, how do you discern chemistry? How do you see whether or not this person's going to have an easy flow with your team? (laughs) I mean, maybe part of it that could help our listeners here is maybe a shade of a a nuanced other word for this would be culture. Does this person kind of line up with your church culture, your staff culture? And of course, this is a tricky thing too, isn't it? Because you don't just want an echo chamber as the culture of your staff. You don't want people who are 100% just like you. We need people who have some different ways of thinking, different practices, different ways of of doing things. At the same time, you kind of want, I heard Alan Jacobs, I read him say this recently, you want people who are like-hearted, even if they are not like-minded. So they may have some different ideas about outreach or about preaching, whatever, but their hearts are the same, and so you can get along. And so maybe some of the questions are, for me anyways, is to ask what their influences are. Tell me what you're reading. Uh, Who are the podcasts you like to listen to? What, What pastors, what churches do you admire, out there. Well, another thing is we want diversity and we're not proponents of tribalism. So what I'm not saying is exactly what Glenn said. We're not trying to say, have people that look like you, think always like you. Exactly. We want to be friendly. Are you able to disagree agreeably? Yes. Can you have arguments and not lose the friendship over it? And certainly on our staff, if uh, people that are around New Life, we have some really good arguments and differences of opinions, and we are striving for diversity of culture and uh, gender, race, all those issues of cultural diversity we strive for here at New Life. But at the same time, at the end of the day— you have to enjoy being with one another, yeah. even if yeah. they look different than you and think different than you. If you don't enjoy their company, Good. if you don't enjoy their presence, it just becomes unbearable. I tell people all the time, this has to be good for me and for you. Yep. We have to both enjoy this. Brady, you always say, if you have to have someone else lose for you to win, you've already lost. And I think one of the things that uh, I've paid attention to as I've hired people through the years is people who know how to work on a team and very often playing sports, mm-hmm. being in, in a, a group or in a band. <laughs> yeah, we're just learning. For the non-athletes. <laughs> the Malaysian sensation right there. Uh, people who know how to work in groups, people who know how to be a team player, people who know how to pull toward the same goal and do that um, in the company of other people. So I think the team dynamic is something I'm always paying attention to. You. Huge. Maybe there's another word that's particular to the local church, and that's the word calling. I, I've discovered over the years that there's a unique call about the local church, and there are lots of good people who are pastoral that are not necessarily called to be pastors. 
they may be pastoral in their ministry or in their parachurch work, and it's beautiful, but it's not the same as saying, actually, I, I am called to serve the local church. Yeah, I've had a lot of my pastor friends, and I'm sure a lot of them are listening, and you know who I'm talking about. The big mistake that I have seen happen over the last 15 years has been this trend to go out and find a really successful business person and bring them into the church because you see... As if they're the same. Yeah, you see the business operations of your church struggling. Well, I'll just go find a business person and bring them into the culture of the local church, and it doesn't always translate. Mm-mm. In fact, very rarely does it translate. Now, there are some success stories of people coming out of the business world and becoming very good pastoral leaders, but you just can't say because they can grow a a Schlotsky's franchise, (laughs) can they come and now build the church with me? That's not true. It doesn't always translate. And the reason is because we are dealing primarily with a volunteer army here. Most of the people, in fact, 95% of the leaders at New Life Church are volunteers. They show up out of the goodness of their heart, out of their own deep personal sense of calling. And there are not many people who know how to lead a volunteer army. It is much easier to lead people that are on the payroll than it is to lead people who are there out of the goodness of their heart volunteering. And most business leaders cannot make the switch in their leadership model and make that work inside the local church. They get frustrated, which in turn frustrates the senior pastor. That's one of the most helpful things I think I've ever heard. That to me is like the difference between a genuine like executive pastor in a traditional sense and a person who's a business leader who happens to step in the church. Do you have a pastoral yes. call on your yes. life? That's translated through organizational acumen, but yes. that volunteer army thing, I, that's a thing I've never thought about before. I just think it's important to remember Paul telling young Timothy, lay hands on no person suddenly. That just because someone's got the right resume, just because someone's got on paper they look right or they've got the the Schlotsky's experience, they created this successful franchise and therefore they'll translate perfectly into the local church. No, you got to watch faithful people rise up. And, and I'm always looking to hire someone who is already doing the work. Yeah. That's what I'm paying attention to is a lot of times people are looking for a job and they're you know putting out a shingle and sending their resumes around. It's like, I want to find someone whose life is already so convincing that we have to have you on this team, that you're doing this work already and therefore your gifts have made room for you. So the conversation to this point, guys, has been pretty sunny and wonderful. I've been part of a young and growing church. It's fun to add members to the team, responding to the growth that God sends and forecasting all that stuff. There is a dark side (laughs) to this. And sometimes members of your team just are not working out the way that you want it to. So let's just talk about letting people go for a second. How do you know when it's time to let somebody go? And just to add a complicating factor here, we're not businesses. Church is family. And when people join our teams, it feels that way. So in some ways, when you're letting somebody go, sometimes it feels a little like telling your little sister that she can't do X, Y, and Z and the family chores anymore, which she might be grateful to be here. (laughs) Maybe it's a bad analogy, but the family. The family is a complicating factor here. So let's talk about that. Well, if you take the the three Cs, the character, chemistry, and competency, the hardest person to fire in the local church is the guy with high character who everybody loves, but is just terrible at his job because he has no competency. And this has been my experience. In a lot of smaller churches, it's even exacerbated because that person has a more of a central role than, like in a church our size, you know, of 10,000, 12,000 members, we're over 100 staff. Sometimes we can fire someone and we don't see the residual side effects of the congregation. But if you're in a congregation of 100 people, and let's say the associate pastor is someone that's done 
you know, a dozen funerals and a dozen weddings and is really high character, just the most godly person you've ever met, is just the most joyful, happy person you've ever been around, but just a terrible leader and a terrible, you know, can't get anything done. Well, the pastor at some point is going to get frustrated with that. And now they find themselves in this dilemma of firing a guy that everybody likes But what pastors find themselves in is pastors having to fire but can't share all of the information that led him to that decision. I've I've had so many pastors over the years that have called me for coaching and said, Brady, I need to fire. I remember this one guy said he had a worship pastor named Bob, and he would say, Brady, this guy was from Texas. He goes, Brady, I need to fire Bob. (laughs) And I said, well, why don't you just fire Bob? He goes, because, Brady, everybody likes Bob. Yeah. And I said, but I need to fire Bob. And I said, why do you need to fire Bob? Because he's terrible, but everybody <laughs> likes him. And I can't tell everybody in the congregation exactly. why he's terrible because it was ruined this guy's reputation in town. I want him to find another job, but he's terrible. And I need to fire him. And I just remember over 20 years ago, this this was the conversation. I just saw that guy the other day, and I said, do you ever fire Bob? He goes, yes, I fired Bob. <laughs> but the point is, finding the healthy balance. It comes down to a place of stewardship. If you keep people on your team, that it's not good for them and it's not good for the church. And ultimately, what we have to decide, are you willing to do what's best for them? Don't keep them in a place where they're not going to flourish. I I think it's a place of grace. When I tell somebody, you're fired, and I've had to do that, you're fired, you're, you're no longer needed here, I'm doing that because I care about them. I don't want them to stay in a place where they're not going to flourish. And I owe it to my congregation who have generously given that I hire people that are going to be good stewards of the money. So I can't do that. Those are the two reasons why we have to come to the place of firing them. I love that you said stewardship, Brady, because I think one of the things that we're not always aware of is we have been entrusted with these people's lives and their talents and their callings, usually for just for a season. And so we're not just responsible to say, okay, great, that's exactly what I need, just fill this spot. Are we cultivating them in a particular way? And sometimes seeing ourselves as the steward means being able to say, you know what, I I don't think this is the best place for you. I don't think this is the best place for you to flourish. And maybe what has wanted to keep me from this in the past is not thinking like a steward, but thinking like an owner, thinking that this person belongs to me. How could I do this to them? Or this is going to send them into a tail. But if you remember that they belong to the Lord that I have just been entrusted with them and and for this season, then all of a sudden you realize actually an ending can be ascending. An ending can be ascending. I mean, we've tried to do this at New Life Downtown whenever staff members, and and they've all transitioned in in godly ways. They've raised the flags at Time's Up or whatever. But we try to pray for them in front of the church so that an ending can be ascending, that they're happily members of the congregation while no longer being on staff. Mm Mm-hmm. Our entire staff read a book a couple of years ago called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. That is a book I would highly recommend that every church pastor read, especially if you have a desire to grow organizationally. To me, it was the best written book I've ever read about how to discern exactly what you were saying, Glenn, how to discern when the season has ended and a pruning is necessary. So Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud is a must read for pastors who want to get this right. One of the things I've learned over the years in pastoral ministry is that because love covers over a multitude of sins, sometimes you have to take it on the chin. And if you have to have the last word, 
if you have to clarify and go put out every fire, if you have to meet with every single person to make sure your your narrative is the narrative, mm. you're going to lose your mind. So and so very often you do protect and you do cover and you do just, you take it on the chin and you're not going out to try to make someone else look bad. You want there to be peace and to be quiet. And so I think, I think you just have to realize that in this work, you're not going to be able to clarify all the details. And it's not even our job to do that. So Brady, just for all the pastors that are listening out there, can you give us kind of some bullet points, criteria, real quick, rapid fire on discerning that a person's tenure needs to come to an end at the church and then also going about letting them go in a healthy manner? Well, first of all, if there's character issues, do not delay. And we are watching the headlines every day of people who saw bad character traits in people's lives and did not act responsibly. So I cannot state this enough. If someone is involved in unrepentant sexual sin or is in some kind of abusive relationship, you have to fire them immediately. Now, it seems odd that I'm having to say this, but quite honestly, a lot of churches are afraid of the public consequences of dealing with these kinds of sins. I'm telling you, you will suffer greater consequences for delaying this action than you will by taking immediate action. Even if they are repentant, because it's, yep. it, the consequences need to happen. Yes. They're fired yes. immediately. Yes. If they're involved in some kind of abusive or sexual unrepentant sin, they have to be fired. Are they stealing money? Those things have to be done immediately. Go, they're done. And I've had to do that. It's awful. It's terrible. But secondly, uh, Glenn and Daniel both have brought up this word culture. At some point, we are required and mandated by the Holy Spirit to create an environment inside our local church for healthy, life-giving culture. And if someone is consistently critical or creates toxic work environments through relationships, if someone is always at the center of the problem, a relational problem inside your staff, listen, you have to fire them. Because if they're not willing to respond to pastoral counsel and help, you know, warn a divisive person once, then have nothing to do with them. And we're quick to do that with congregation members. We're slow to do that with staff for some reason. But the actual, the criteria is the same in scripture. Warn a divisive person once and then have nothing to do with them until they're repentant. And then they can, obviously everybody can be redeemed and restored. Thirdly, uh, communicate clearly to as many people as you can while protecting the character of the person you fired. I'm gonna tell as many people as I can all the details I can, but at the same time, I pray for wisdom and discernment about who I should tell and how much I should tell, because honestly, I want that person to be redeemed. I want them to flourish. And so oftentimes, we've had to fire people, and I can't stand up on Sunday and tell the church every detail of why they were fired. And at some point, the church has to trust me that I've made a wise choice about the staffing of the church. So I think you tell as much as you can to as many people as you can without uncovering or disparaging the character of that person. And it's a delicate dance. And, uh, you know, every case requires different kinds of discretion. And uh, that's why coaching and why I have overseers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to call wise counsel and, or, or even my elders. I have great elders here at, at New Life. And in those meetings, I've said, guys, tell me, give me your wisdom, give me your thoughts. So if a pastor is flying solo and has no outside counsel, this is a dangerous moment for them. And I can't express enough how important it is for pastors to have trusted advisors like elders and overseers. We call them overseers, but they're, they're people outside of our church who can give us feedback without having the emotions wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there have been many times where I get emotional because I love these people. I care about the people I'm firing even. I love them. I care about them. And in my emotional state, I'm not able to think clearly. So I'll call a trusted friend who's not emotionally attached to the decision. And I'm telling you, a lot of times I get crystal clear direction because of those relationships. I think it's important to remember that no person that we're working with should ever be shocked if they get fired. If we're doing our job as leaders, that means we're keeping short accounts, we're having conversations along the way, we're having yearly reviews, we're having quarterly offsites, we're talking about performance. Hey, here's what I need specifically from you to do. So if we're leaving people in this guessing zone where they have to just wonder what we're thinking and yet we're stewing on the inside, we're frustrated, it's starting to boil over in us and then all of a sudden we just pop off on them and fire them, that's on us. We're bad leaders. So we ought to set the communication and set our expectations and lead people well so that if it gets to that point, we can say with a clean heart, we did everything we can. And one of the beauties of the kingdom, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is a no to one person could mean a yes to another. And that's where we have to trust that Jesus is the head of the church. And just because one person ended up not working out here doesn't mean, A, that they're not the answer to another church's prayer, and that someone else coming into our church, that this can be a yes that they've been praying for. we got to trust that. Well, the bottom line is, hire slowly. Take your time. I cannot express that enough. Take your time. Be thoughtful. Don't get in a hurry. Don't make a panicked decision or a stress-led decision to hire someone. Hire slowly. But when it's time to fire, I can tell you that the amount of nights that you're going to lose sleep and the unnecessary stress of delaying that decision is not worth it. So when it's time to fire, fire them. When it's time to hire, hire slowly. So I've always heard this, hire slow, fire quick. And I'm not talking about firing it out of anger or quick. I'm just saying when it's time to let someone go, do them a favor, do yourself a favor, let them go, but hire slowly. Take your time, ask more questions than you think, and allow the interview process to be with multiple people. Have multiple people interview with you. And I think in a multitude of counselors, you usually make better hiring decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Mm-hmm.